Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. I've talked to a number of battery experts who uh, t- uh, who believe that Canada has a big opportunity to be a player in the global uh, battery supply chain. And I'm going to talk to Evan Picnic, who is the Clean Energy Program Manager with Clean Energy Canada, about a new report that he authored called Canada's New Economic Engine. It explores how Canada can successfully build an EV battery supply chain in order to become a North American battery powerhouse. Welcome to the interview, Evan. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, look, um, let's talk about the status quo scenario with no additional government policies. Uh, Canada's battery supply chain could create 60,000 jobs, contribute $12 billion to the GDP. But your study suggests that that's only a quarter of the potential benefits. Yeah, I think what we've seen so far this year is some really, and, and both federal and, and a number of provincial governments deserve recognition for this. We've seen some very significant announcements across the battery supply chain. We have cell manufacturing coming to Canada. We have battery materials. We have critical minerals. What we don't have, though, is a strategy that's actually unlocking the full potential of those opportunities. So if all we did was rest on our laurels and, you know, we celebrated the the announcements we had to date but did nothing else, that's where you see that sort of 60,000 jobs, 12 billion, 15 billion in economic activity. Whereas when we look at what we could achieve, when we really model, if we reach our EV targets, if we really lean into the battery opportunity for Canada, we see up to 250,000 direct and indirect jobs and up almost $50 billion in GDP contributions on an annual basis by 2030. Well, let's, is, is uh, the benefits or are the benefits of such a strategy, would they be concentrated in Ontario where we have the you know the Canadian automotive uh, industry is uh, focused, and, and Quebec, which we're seeing uh, some uh, electric vehicle manufacturing uh, grow there, like Alliant Electric. Uh, we're seeing uh, battery uh, plants uh, investments being announced. Those two provinces seem to be poised to reap most of the benefits. But what about other provinces? And I'm thinking specifically here about British Columbia and Alberta that have expressed some interest in, you know, playing in this game. Yeah, there's no question that when we look across the battery supply chain, Ontario and Quebec do stand to see the most activity. EV assembly is one of the largest potential opportunities, and that really does largely exist within Ontario. Albeit when we look at medium and heavy duty vehicle manufacturing, Quebec has some, Manitoba has some, there's prospects for BC to have some, Kelowna is doing all sorts of interesting things. But, you know, Ontario and Quebec certainly see a lot of that, but this is really a pan-Canadian opportunity. The battery supply chain goes all the way out to the exploration, mining for critical minerals, upgrading those minerals, and then on the other side to the recycling of of end of life batteries. In a lot of these spaces, both BC and Alberta, but also, you know, provinces right across the board see opportunities. 
And that's even before we really start to talk about the innovation side to this and the potential for Canadian tech to be heavily involved, which just doesn't know borders the same way that sort of physical production does. Now, a month ago, I, I interviewed uh, Dr. Kwesi Mufofo, um, and Pofo, sorry, uh, Bloom, he's head of uh, commodities and metals for Bloomberg NEF. We were talking about this very thing, uh, and I asked him how long uh, Canadian provinces, how long Canada has to act, thinking it would be maybe a decade or so. And he said three years, because the there are... Far, there are plenty of other countries, uh, Vietnam and Indonesia, he mentioned, that are further along than we are, and they're moving very aggressively, and the window is open now, but it's not going to stay open for much longer. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly in line with what our report finds as well, is that the opportunity for Canada, what we're really trying to put a lens on, is the need for action right now, if we really want to seize these opportunities. Canada rightfully can take uh, some recognition for the announcements to date, but we're the only major country or region in the entire world that has serious battery ambition and doesn't have a public facing strategy. That's, that is, you know, point number one, when we talk about what needs to actually happen to unlock this, it's moving quickly, getting a strategy in place that identifies where are Canada's competitive advantages, where are we best poised to compete, and then starts to focus the investment and the policy and works with the private sector to really unlock those areas where Canada can really punch above its weight. Now, your report mentions six things that Canada needs to do, and we'll go through each one of them briefly. The first one is develop a national battery strategy. Why is that important? Yeah, so what we've seen, again, is individual announcements located in different provinces at different points of the supply chain, but there's no real comprehensive look at where Canada can compete. We do have the federal government starting to engage on a critical mineral strategy, which is an incredibly important piece of this puzzle, but that it's going to exceed, it's going to expand beyond batteries. And it doesn't actually talk about how those critical minerals are going to enter into the battery supply chain. So something like, you know, if we're mining the critical minerals here, we don't really have a strategy yet that says we should upgrade them here in Canada rather than just shipping the raw resources to other countries. That's the sort of thing that a strategy taking a, a focus on here's our opportunity, that's where we should focus our energy. Yeah, and I think there's an important context here, and that is that uh, China overwhelmingly uh, dominates the, the global uh, EV battery supply chain. Uh, critical minerals somewhat, but particularly on the refining and processing, about 80%. Uh, manufacturing 50 or 60 percent, uh, battery assembly, you know, it's like 70, 80 percent. But the uh, Americans have now brought in the Inflation Reduction Act, compete with to build the supply chain in North America to compete with China and other, uh, and other uh, you know, like European manufacturers. And that's really important context, is it not? It absolutely is. China is where the battery industry writ large exists today. There is moves, though, to pull that supply chain. Europe wants to build its own. North America wants to build its own. And as you say, with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act passed, that opened the door to not just U.S. sourced material and battery uh, manufacturing, but to North American. The door is open for Canada to access one of the largest markets on the planet in this space. That, as you say, is absolutely the opportunity that Canada needs to be uh, targeting. Well, let's talk about no the number two thing that Canada should do, build the workforce. Tell us about that. Yeah, so when we look across the different provinces and the different projects, we're talking about trying to secure opportunities where the economy is going. 
And it's going to involve new skill sets. It's going to involve fundamentally new industries. When we talk about cell manufacturing or battery materials, we know that we're now also in an environment where labor has all sorts of workers have all sorts of different opportunities. There's a shortage all over the place. If we want to seize this opportunity, we really do need to focus skills training, incentives for students, incentives for workers looking to make a transition and ensure that these are the areas that have you know, the good paying jobs, that have the training programs put in place as a priority in order to skill up this. This is one of the areas that risks being a shortage. You know, we can celebrate the announcements of you know, $5 billion investments, but if we don't have the workers or the skills to really uh, set that project up, we'll still lose those investments or fail to secure additional ones. Now, this is a good, I, I, I wanna ask you a question here because it seems, you know, like China, for instance, one of the reasons why it, it had as an advantage is because 10 or 15 years ago, we decided that, you know, new energy technologies were going to be a, a key focus. That's how it was going to overtake America uh, as the, the world's number one economy. And because it is a, more of an authoritarian government, it could direct resources, put in place a strategy, direct resources. You need employees. We're going to train them. And here's, you know, and they could make that happen. In Canada, we don't work like that. We're much more laissez-faire, and we'll, we, you know, we, we have to. The federal government has to cooperate with the provinces, and there's long-winded negotiations, and then and so on and on and on. And it seems to me that 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 strategy is inherently flawed when you have a the window of opportunity is only cracked open for a, a you know a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the sort of free market side to this and the ability to move quickly is where we're going to see a lot more potential for innovation. On the labor side, though, this is where I do think governments can come and put their finger on the scale in a couple of places. When we talk about how we're looking at new students entering programs, if we want battery expertise in our programs, we need to fund those Canada research chairs. We need to ensure universities are creating those spaces. We could even be looking at helping uh, you know, support students, you know, paying off tuition in targeted professions that we know we're going to have needs for. So there's still the ability to really create clear incentives for interesting work that's going to be well-paying in fields where we know Canada has opportunities over the next 20 years, while still seeing that, that sort of more free market side to the opportunities and the innovation within the battery space. And I suppose uh, there are going to be energy uh, workers, many of them skilled, uh, and some of them very highly skilled, who will be displaced from the traditional energy industries that will need retraining. And I, I assume that that's got to be a big part of the strategy. Yeah, I'll give two examples. I think the, uh, the opportunity in places like Ontario and Quebec to ensure that today's auto manufacturing workforce becomes tomorrow's EV manufacturing workforce needs to be a critical priority. So those training programs, ensuring workers see pathways so that they can bridge those opportunities is absolutely essential and, and ensures that we're having a people-centric energy transition. In places like Alberta, there's an incredible amount of expertise when it comes to innovation and resource development. That is very much what, you know, looking at our critical mineral resources is going to need. We need to see the lowest environmental impact with the highest environmental standards while looking to harness some of this potential. That's an opportunity for workers in that sector. Okay, let's talk now about accelerate project development. What do you mean by that? Yeah, what we're seeing, and you know, you touched on this right off the top, is we are just moving too slowly. It takes five to seven years for a mine in Canada to get operational from conception to 
to action. That is frankly just not, that we will lose the opportunities we see. But this is true across the board where we see Canada reacting to opportunities rather than being proactive and ensuring things are put in place. So with mines, we need to be all moving quickly to get clean energy resources put in place. We need to be having conversations today up front with First Nations communities across different provinces about what, you know, what the opportunities are, is there opportunities for partnership? Those need to be happening proactively, not stuck in, you know, seven year uh, after the fact environmental assessment processes. We can have incredibly high standards and need to place the highest standards in the world as sort of the Canadian brand for batteries while deciding that if this is a priority, if accessing our critical mineral resources is a priority, seven years is not a plausible way to seize that opportunity. Okay, number four, uh, grow the North American market. And here I refer to, you know, the race between Europe, Asia, and, and North America for, you know, it's kind of like an industrial arms race. Reminds me of after the uh, post-World War II era, uh, when, you know, everybody was, was jockeying to get in on the uh, industrial development. So tell us about how important the North American market is to this. Yeah, at the end of the day, the number one thing that's going to drive this size of the potential battery industry and the speed that it comes up with is going to be EV penetration in the North American market. So when we talk about growing the North American market, we've got some very simple tools that are we've already seen work in provinces like Quebec and BC to incentivize the uptake of passenger vehicles. We have governments starting to look at media, you know, trucks and buses and ensuring that batteries and electrification are working in that space as well. That's really where we're going to be able to supercharge this shift and just see this expanding demand for batteries. So if we want to see those opportunities and those investments landing on this continent, we need to make sure that EV vehicle or EV deployment is, is something that we're prioritizing. Okay, number five, promote Canada's clean battery brand. And I want to make a point here that I've interviewed uh, CEOs of, of uh, sort of clean energy companies, maybe they were in the battery supply chain. And I, I asked them about, you know, uh, the importance of uh, reasonably cost, clean and abundant electricity. And a number of them have said when they look at, you know, they're citing a, a factory, a plant, uh, that's at the top of their list. And that is where Canada currently has a competitive advantage. But as we electrify and, and we need to scale up our electricity system, that seems to be that uh, that's a potential, you know, uh, speed bump for us. Yeah, I, once again, I think that's exactly right. What we've seen in all of the battery announcements over the course of this year is when you go to those press releases, can, an, an ability to have a reliable source of clean power is listed as one of the key reasons why this investment landed in Canada. The ability to continue to see those investments means we need to be working proactively to continue to deploy those resources in advance of the conversations with investors wanting to come here. If they know that there's a five-year build-out and transmission lines need to be put in before their project could even start construction, it's not going to happen. But the clean battery brand extends beyond that to also looking at things like mining. There's lots of countries around the world that have critical minerals. Canada's opportunity is to put high environmental standards, its commitments to reconciliation front and center, high traceability in all the minerals from end to end of that battery supply chain. If that's what Canada can get known for, then suddenly the premium, the you know, higher cost labor and capital here in Canada can be justified. That's really where you know, leaning into that opportunity and being proud to say, we produce the cleanest minerals, we, are, you know, we provide clean power to all of the projects right across the battery supply chain. 
Okay, number six, scale up homegrown clean battery leaders. Now, this has been a problem for Canada all along. We'd, we're a small open economy. We don't have it. We don't generate enough capital to finance all of our needs. Very often, uh, our uh, our startups get caught in the valley of death. You know, where you've you've proven it in a on, in the lab, you've proven it on a, maybe a pilot project or a demonstration project, but then you need capital to get to commercialization and scale up. And that's a big problem. And I'm hearing more and more voices talk about this is a role for government to play. Is that a, a fair a fair comment? I think absolutely. What we really want to set up is two separate tracks here that are reinforcing each other. We are going after major investments from you know multinational companies that have the expertise, that have the capital to really build these facilities. So Stellantis LG putting their battery cell manufacturing here in Canada is a huge coup. At the same time, we need to be building a stream that supports Canadian innovators, whether that's in the manufacturing space or is feeding into one of the number of different spots where that, you know, in the process where new technologies, new approaches, new software can actually see an opportunity for a Canadian company to get access to that, have their technology break through and then see it roll out into the rest of the market and, and possibly globally. Governments have a key role in helping ensure that those companies have enough of a, a sort of safety net when it comes to taking those chances. We want to see successes and we need to be a little less afraid of some failures on that road. That's where we've seen most of the successes with government supported tech. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there, there we, we've uh, been talking for, um, you know, seems like decades now about how the government shouldn't pick winners and losers uh, or shouldn't pick winners. Uh, I'm, and I, and again, I think there's a, a growing chorus of voices who are saying that's exactly what the what government should do. And uh, Mariana Mazzucato, the the uh, U.S. Uh, economist, uh, says very clearly that's what the Americans have done. This it's one of the the major reasons why they flourished in the post post World War II economy is because they poured a lot of money into companies you know that were just starting up. I mean, like. Uh, Tesla would be a classic example. I think it got $5 billion of federal funding. They picked winners. And then they had flagship companies that led these new sectors. And that seems to be, I, I, the tide seems to be turning on this way of thinking about government's role in industrial development. Yeah. I and, mean, you know, I think, I think, as you say, Mariana Mazzucato has a, a ton of very useful insights to share in that space. We don't have to think about it just in terms of government choosing a specific company as a winner, and then all of our eggs are in that basket. We can think of it as a sector. So again, if we looked at batteries, we're saying batteries are an incredible opportunity for Canada. If we picked the battery supply chain as something we're going to focus on, and then within it, we know we can outcompete on battery material production. We could see some cell production here in Canada, those become areas of focus where designing government incentive programs, helping support the innovation clusters around that, where we've picked, we picked to win in that space. And then we let the individual innovators come up with ideas that are worth supporting and that can be backed. That's the sort of give and take that I think the, the, this opportunity. So would very much agree we should be picking winners and we should be picking batteries as one of the winners for Canada in the coming decades. I want to close out our conversation, Evan, with uh, the role of batteries in the energy transition. I mean, I've heard it said, you know, it's kind of a cliche that batteries are the heart of the energy transition. And as we see renewables scale up, as we see uh, batteries be incorporated into sectors like transportation, uh, into electric vehicles, 
it, that really does seem to be the case. And if you don't have a battery industry uh, domestically, uh, you really aren't going to be a player in the 21st century economy. What, would you agree with that comment? Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think that when you think the energy transition, your mind goes to wind turbines and solar panels. And I think what we're saying is it needs to go to batteries. It's, you know, over the next decade, a battery will likely be the thing that's powering your car, as well as ensuring that the electricity on the grid can support, you know, that's heating and powering your home can support it. So I think I think batteries are, are front and center in a lot of areas too. And this is what our report's highlighting. It's also where a lot of the economic opportunity is when we talk about things like EVs. It's the most valuable part of an electric vehicle is gonna be that battery supply chain. Why wouldn't Canada want to have a piece in that given that we have a role already in the automobile manufacturing space in North America? Yeah, and maybe one final observation and that is capital loves batteries. I, I, I've talked to, uh, interviewed in, investors, uh, you know, uh, who are looking for investment opportunities, and they can't find enough startups to, to invest in. And it seems like uh, if Canada wants to do this, government has to play a role. It has to bring policy and strategy to the table. It has to maybe invest in key areas where there's a, there's a deficiency of capital. But doing that, uh, I've, I, experts have told me, unlocks private capital. And suddenly what turns out to be started out as a trickle becomes a tsunami. Is, is that fair to say in this sector? It is. And I, I think I've, talked, I've, I've seen uh, lines from two different uh, CEOs of major automobile companies. One describes us as being in the first or second inning of the battery of the battery shift or the EV shift. Another one's talked about being in 1920 with the internal combustion engine. That's where we're at with batteries. We don't even know what the chemistries will be in 10 years. We know there's significant opportunity now to take a space in this, and there's only going to be more and more interest and more and more innovation and more and more opportunity in this sector. Well, I, I can't let the, the comparison to 1920 go by because that's what I did my master's thesis on was the transition to from horses and steam to, to power farming technology, uh, 1900 to 1930. Uh, so this appeals to me. And I have to say that the uh, had Canada, Canadian agriculture been slow to adopt tractors and then combines and other mechanized equipment they would we would not have the agriculture sector we have have today and really it's that the internal combustion engine and cheap petroleum drove economic growth after world war ii after certainly after 1920 and we don't want to miss out this opportunity and in fact because things are in such flux the up we can out uh, outdo what we did after 1920 if we're strategic and smart about it. Absolutely right. I think, as you said, batteries are really at the heart of this energy transition. It's an incredible economic opportunity. It also allows us to work on other objectives like our climate objectives. There's opportunities to advance reconciliation through this. This is sort of a win-win-win scenario. What we need now, though, is government action. It needs to be strategic and it needs to act with urgency. Evan, thank you very much for this. Really appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me.